It's hot outside because it's not Groundhog Day. It's summer. It's oh, summer. I see what you were trying to yeah, do. Yeah, because you said right, Rise and Shine Camp. Whatever. I was thinking more of Heavyweights. Did you ever see that movie? That's one I, of my favorites. I was afraid to see that movie because I. It you were made afraid me, to get sent at Fat Camp? Yes, it made me angry that you would make a movie. But then I later learned that it was actually uh, an anti-fat shaming. I mean, spo- yeah, spoiler, there's a coup at the end. Yeah. When the fat kids totally overthrow the, you know. See, for me, I was. Tyrants. The worst part uh, about being fat as a kid is that I was told that I couldn't touch the kids that were making fun of me because they were all much smaller than me and I would be seen as a bully. Oh, so and you so you got bullied, but you couldn't even. Fight I couldn't back. bully back because then the because then I would always be caught holding the bag. That's and a bunch of like, bully shit. If yeah. you ask me. Yeah. Hey, hey, there we go. First bad pun of the show. That's a good one, though. Um, uh, thank you. You're felt, welcome. Yeah. Um. Well, today on the show we have Liz Glazer that I'm really excited about, and before we get to her, um, I'm going to read a poem. Okay. And. Great, great, great. great. What, what year is it from? Uh, I think it's from 1996. Uh, it's kind of hard to tell, but the penmanship, I think. What What notebook did you find this in? This was in the. Uh, this was in unplugged. Okay, because this is so, that's a separate piece of yeah, paper. Yeah, so this is a piece of loose leaf actually um, that I uh, had folded up and saved because I, you know, was a sentimentalist. Are you looking at your finger fingernails while I? Talk I'm looking at my the, the hole in my finger I got from playing the guitar too hard. This one, it's on this finger. Listeners, it's his middle finger. It's my middle finger. Um, okay. It's called a little sonnet, but it's not a sonnet, actually, it turns out. It's, not, it's very really long. I really like the word sonnet. Uh, there once was a girl who fell for a guy. She longed to be near him, but felt way too shy. <clears throat> Asterisk, see back. Oh, so I added a, some couplets in there. Girls flirted with him. Nope, it's not. that's not where it is. She thought of him constantly at school and at home. She dreamed of him nightly, but woke up alone. Asterisk, back to first page. Great, thanks. She knew much about him, all trivial facts, such as how he loved Nike and played alto sax. Oh. Yeah. Is this Cashin? Uh, actually, I don't think it, maybe. No, I don't think it is, because he has blue eyes. You'll see later. Oh, gotcha. She knew he drank root beer and Minute Maid, got called back for the part he almost played. Oh, I know who it is. <laughs> she knew he loved Pittsburgh and had a young sis. Her sign was Scorpio, and so was his. He had perfect teeth and a permanent hat with piercing blue eyes, brilliant to look at. She sat right in front of him, day after day, awkward and clueless as to what to say. Girls flirted with him. She could only look on. It frustrated her. Something had to be done. So finally, she thought up a poem for him. It was rhyming and corny and came on a whim. She asked him if she could have just one chance. Would he go with her to the homecoming dance? Oh. Well, dot, 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 question mark. Now it's all coming back to me. I didn't even remember until I got to the end of it. Uh, no, this is Jim Nolan, someone who I'm still in touch with now, actually. Did he go to the homecoming dance with you? Nope. Oh. But it, I think it's because he was out of town. Oh, okay. So it's okay. I got you. This is actually ninth grade English class. Wow. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, I sat in back of him, and then behind me, it was Dan Severino, who had a big football jersey, and he used to, it had like, you know those like perforated jerseys? They yeah. Had like, so some of the little, the little like plastic like circles hadn't been cut out, like hadn't been perforated out all the way, so he would sit behind me and like with his teeth like 
pull out the little plastic circles and spit them on the desk, like behind me through English class. We were gross as kids, right? Not you, Speak but... Speak for yourself, boy. I was pretty gross as a child. I mean, I don't know, because in, in, in school, you're not really thinking. You're trying to find ways of, like, turning your focus inward so you could be invisible so no one looks at you or asks you questions or points out that you... I don't you, know. I think that's your particular experience, Phil, You might have shaved I, half an eyebrow off. All I wanted was for people to look at me and notice me, but I was completely ignored. I only wanted them to look at me and notice me when, when I wanted them to look uh, at me and notice me. I, there was a certain point when I really just wanted to be invisible. Until until there was attention paid to me. What was the turning point? Oh, acting. When I got better at it. Once when I finally, uh, when Thomasina Highland decided to uh, to let me play uh, the Pharaoh in Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. That was the turning point for me, because uh, it was it was a flashy part. It was a very flamboyant part. But at the time, I heavily believed in my skills. Uh, despite the fact that we never really did straight plays. We did Spoon River Anthology. That was kind of cool. You did Spoon River in high school? Yeah. That is heavy shit for high school. It was heavy shit. School. I was Blind Jack. It was the unknown and like the mayor whose who's wife and her new husband or something like that screw on his grave or something like I don't know. Um, it was a school assembly. I know, but you were children. Like we did Spoon Rivers. We did Spoon Rivers in my acting conservatory at uh, Maggie Flanagan's studio. Shout out to Maggie Flanagan's studio. Um... But we were all in our mid to late twenties by that point, because which is still not even old enough, because a lot of these people in those poems are like old or dead. I mean, they're all dead. Oh no, they're all dead. Spoiler alert: Spoon Rivers, they're all dead. Yeah, it's not even a twist at the end. They're actually just monologues gathered from from the lists of the dead, I guess, or like the people that lived in Spoon River. I don't know. I hear it's partially true. Spoon River? Oh yeah. No, it's not. It's not. Must love ghosts. Yep. There it is. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um, people were gross. People were gross, but it didn't matter because we weren't really, nobody was touching each other no. back then. Anyway, we were only dreaming about touching each other, you know. I mean, I wasn't. Only kissing. You know how this was. I was pretty prudish. Yeah. I mean, I was I was full on thinking about about sex from, from the moment I discovered that I could, I could make out images on the Spice Channel scramble feed. How old were you when that happened? 12, 13. That's young for a boy, no? No, no, no. I was told about how babies come from at like nine by boys. A, a girl would never tell me that. Which boys? Tommy O'Brien and Mike. No. Had you even had a boner by the time you were 12? I've had boners since I was five, dude. <laughs> I just think that's, that's it's early for it's early for a guy generally. Yeah, it's true. It's pre, It's pretty early, but... You're not going to stop them. They're going to have kids are going to have the like sexual thoughts at, at, at oh, whatever I, age. Oh, for sure, be I at. did starting at like eleven, but I felt like I was super early, and nobody was on board with that for a few more years. You know. Well, yeah, uh, obviously, of course, you have to like keep it keep it deep down and bury it, and then eventually you and can, hump the bed. And hump the bed, yeah, and then eventually it'll, you know, it's just a normal part of your everyday routine twice. So. <laughs> On that note. That's good or guest. <laughs> so um, our guest today uh, is a comedian and an actor, and she's really funny and delightful. And, you know, I've only actually met her once or twice before this, but I just kind of knew that she was she was going to be up our alley. So uh, we're going to welcome to the show Liz Glazer. She's a maniac, maniac. She approaches with her... 
with her hair bouncing like crazy, leather jacket flying open. Three beverages. Three beverages in front of her. Very healthy beverages. Hi, Hi Liz. Hi, Hi. Lissa. <laughs> Hi, Phil. Hey. Um, I love that song. Oh, good. I'm so glad I, I love chose the correctly. Song. Yeah, I love the song that you guys opened to, too, because I was thinking the first lyric of that is, welcome to your life, there's no turning back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, such a great lyric. Not uh, Your sonnet, which I recognize was not a sonnet, but yes. I called a sonnet because it's part of the title. Yes. Is also great. Oh, um, thanks. That's yeah. just the tip of the iceberg there. I'm, I imagine. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for being on. Yeah. I'm very excited to hear because, like, when you when you mentioned what your artifact was, I didn't quite understand sure. it. So mm-hmm. I I want to jump right into it and yeah. let you give some context. Absolutely. Um, so my artifact is male, first of all. Uh, I mean, I imagine that's obvious, but I don't know. It's in vogue to announce the gender that somebody prefers mm-hmm. to be associated with. So sure. Pachi is male. Pachi is a blankie. And mm-hmm. he he doesn't have his original body because in age, I mean, we all go through We're changes. all chewed up and yeah. spit out at the end. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but this is my mother made Pachi. Pachi is a blankie, a transitional object to use this psycho well, actually, can you explain to yeah. listeners what a transitional object sure. is? Sure. Yeah. I, to my understanding, and I'm not a psychologist or mm-hmm. a psychiatrist or anything like that, just read Wikipedia. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, so a transitional object, to my understanding, is something that you attach to as a kid because it is easier to go through transitions by attaching oh to my that God, thing. This is blowing my mind already. Really? I've been here for five okay. minutes and it's blowing my mind because okay. I feel like this explains so much about, like, I have kept so much stuff. I mean, that's oh, the reason why yeah. I do the show is because I held yeah. on to all these journals and all this writing and... That's a great And my, I named all premise. of my journals, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh, and really? They, uh, mm-hmm. Nice. And uh, so much of what the show is about is the, the meaning that objects and artifacts have for us and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not to... Not idol worship, not, yeah. not worshiping the objects, but, like seeing them as as landmarks of where we are at a certain point emotionally. Yeah, totally. Um, okay, well, so that, that does dovetail quite nicely with Pachi. So the reason that Pachi... So Pachi's a blanket, and just for listeners at home, like, I'm looking at a pile of crocheted, used to be pink, but now is... Oh, this was beige. pink. Yeah, um, blanky. And it's all knotted up, and it used to be, you know, like a regular square, and now it's not... Um, but I sleep with Pachi every night and my mother made Pachi. She learned how to crochet for the purposes of making one for me and one for my brother. And now allegedly doesn't know how to crochet anymore. Um, I think there's a couple of other crocheted blankies around the house that she's like, while I have this skill, I might as well just go for it. Um, but they don't hold as much significance. And actually my brother's Pachi, um, he doesn't, associate with in the way that I do. But your brother's blankie yeah. is also named Pachi? Well, yeah. So, so the, Pachi mm-hmm. is a noun that was invented yes. to describe all blankies in the household. It That's what it became. And so it's a derivative of a Polish word for a command to go to sleep because the nanny who watched me when I was a baby would tell me to go spotch. I'm not sure if I'm conjugating the verb properly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but something to that effect such that my baby brain was like, oh, she's pointing to the thing that's on top of me 
and saying potch. And the reason that my mother made this and acquired the skill of crocheting was that I guess I would have this habit of going underneath my blanket, making my mother really anxious that I would die. And so she was like, I have to figure out how to make, how to, well, first she asked her mother, um, how do I get a blanket with holes in it? And her mother oh. said to her, you got to make it. So you were like a turtle going into your shell. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, how, that's how I slept too. Really? Yeah. Huh. It was protected. Did you have a crocheted blanket? No, no. I okay. had a, I had like three. You I just had, got out alive. Yeah, I was overly blanketed. Yeah. Oh, okay. Like over, I, like over your head? Yeah. Yeah. I was afraid so of the dark. So that was the thing. Right. Yeah. Oh, so cool. It was just a way of protecting yourself. Yeah. So my mom, but it was, it was a way of really protecting my mom. Because she was the one who was nervous. Yeah. <laughs> I think I probably would have been fine. Yeah. But who knows, you know. Um, but anyway, so, so yeah, so Pachi is the diminutive of Pach, which is Spach in my brain, because mm -hmm. I thought that that was what was being referred to. And so we've been together since, since I was a baby. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. And he's always been male. Um, how, when, how, why, why is that? How did you know that? I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I, I mean, it was just always so obviously true. And I remember when I learned of marriage, um, that I was like, well, I'm going to marry Pachi. Like that, <laughs> that was so clear to me. Um, I didn't know I was gay yet. So, you know, now we're just good friends you and, and are just, roommates. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the story. And so I don't know. I mean, I've dated women who have taken issue with the fact that I sleep with Pachi. You, um, that's what I was going to ask if you yeah, still, I do. I mean, he's kind of, he's gone from being like a star in my bed to just like another prop, mm -hmm. um, which is where he is now, you mm -hmm. know, like sometimes he's like under the pillow, but he's just like around like sort of like, like my a dog. phone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I still, I mean, I still have anxiety about losing him one time mm -hmm. when I was little, when I was eight years old, we took a family trip um, to London, not that it matters for the story, but whatever, we like never traveled. So it was like the one place that I remember mm -hmm. going. And where did you grow up again? Um, New Jersey. New Jersey. Oh, yeah. where New, yeah. Like right here in, oh. in Bergen County. Great. Wow. Yeah. You, you too? I grew up in Essex. Oh, okay. And you? Also Connecticut. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But still like tri-state tri -state. area. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, so. You went to London. Went to London and he got in with the sheets of the hotel. Oh God. And so I guess like we came home from sightseeing one day and my parents noticed oh. that he was missing and already had the calls to the mm -hmm. front desk and whatever. And then I noticed later and started, you know, screaming and crying. And oh, I was going to, yeah. I was going to ask if your parents were able to fix, to remedy before you. No, but, realized. but then, then it worked out. Okay. Obviously. So, was that when, when it went into the hotel laundry, yeah. is that when it lost its pink? No, um, I or used pee. to pee. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Um, I I used to pee, uh, I guess, when diapers were worse. Mm -hmm. And so, like, every night or every morning. Yeah, and so that, I think, is how he lost the pink. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I love that you've taken him with you. And and it is really <laughs> traumatizing to lose to lose an artifact like that, for yeah, sure. Yeah, totally. Um, uh, I had a, a lucky rock named Patrick. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I still have tons of rocks and crystals because that's how I roll but this was in seventh grade I was like I was at uh Mount Holyoke with um my friend and her mom who had gone to school there and we were just wandering around in the hills and uh, I picked up this rock that had a little bit of green on it because it had been in the moss I named it Patrick I carried it with Good me name. all the way through and I had a couple of scares where I lost it 
Mm-hmm. Uh-oh, man down. Had a couple of scares where I lost it, and then uh, when I was at college, it was the summer after freshman year, he was in my wallet, and my wallet got stolen out of my backpack when I was getting oh. on the train in Chicago. Oh, my and God. And I didn't care about the credit card. I didn't yeah. care about losing the license. I didn't any of that stuff, have my money. But the fact that Patrick was gone forever was extremely traumatizing. Yeah, yeah. I used to have anxiety fantasies. I don't know if that's a familiar thing, like just imagining a thing that could happen. All the time, uh, yeah. every I, day. I'm, I'm yeah. a New York Jew. Like that okay, is my great. entire life. Okay, cool. Yeah. I don't, well, I'm not a New York Jew, but I, I've yeah. had that for yeah. every, like every day. I mean, that's almost how I avoid nightmares is I kind of anxiety think about what, yeah. how it would manifest in my sleep. Totally. And then for some reason, my brain's already said it, so it mm-hmm. doesn't happen. Well, oh, you end up having like anxiety dreams that are so much more fantastical. Phil has dreams that include like monsters and zombies and chasing, mm-hmm. and mine don't. Mine are just yeah. like packing Yours are nightmares. like indie films. His are <laughs> they're genre films. Yeah, they're... yeah. Yeah, his are Michael Bay nightmares. <laughs> I kind of <Right>. wish that <laughs> I had like the nice ones, but... Uh-huh. Uh, but now at this point, I have a, there's an industry in my head that keeps sure. turning out yeah. fun stories. Yeah, you have a whole production company. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would have anxiety nightmare, like anxiety daydreams about um, actually being in line at the George Washington Bridge and opening the door of the car and having Pachi with me, which actually like wouldn't have been true because as I told you in the email when I described the artifact... Mm-hmm. Pachi doesn't generally leave the house. He comes on sleepovers Mm -hmm. and trips and things like that. But like he doesn't leave the house because he used to when I was little. And that caused anxiety. And well, yeah. And and I lost him in the lamp department at Bloomingdale's. Oh my God. And my mother also noticed that I wasn't with him because I was like, you know, Linus, is it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had that kind of a relationship with Pachi until I was about six and was in the lamp department and dropped him um, and my mother noticed that that had happened and then, you know, retraced our steps trying not to get me to notice. And again, I noticed yeah. at some point and then he was found. Um, but yeah, I would have these anxiety daydreams that my family would be in the car and we'd be approaching the toll booth at the George Washington Bridge from the New Jersey side. Mm-hmm. And then I would on a whim open the door and let Pachi out. And that would be right before we'd be able to it was at the time when you had to give a ticket mm-hmm. to go over the George Washington Bridge. So my dad would give the ticket to the toll booth operator and we'd like whiz away and I would be like, but Pachi's behind and then that's we'd have to leave him behind. So interesting because that's yeah. like a, it's like a fantasy about, about losing control. Yes. Um, which is really reminds me of like when I used to be, when I used to sit in temple during uh, bar mitzvahs, cause as you know, I went to like a yeah. million bar and bat mitzvahs. Sure, um, sure. and, uh, it would be like a really quiet part of the service and I would have these fantasies, these like fearful fantasies that I would accidentally scream or that mm. I would accidentally like get up and like like spaz yeah. out or lose control. Like totally. which is something that is totally in your control, but like the the fear of some part within you betraying you like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, pretty universal, I guess. I think so, yeah. And I think it also relates to some of it sounds to me like it relates to some of what you guys were talking about in the intro and particularly you Phil, about, you know, that you said the moment that, um, stuff started to change for you. And I'm paraphrasing was when you started acting. And I feel like the, the thing that you're describing, Lissa, is that, that thing inside of you that can burst. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And 
for me, when I didn't have the outlet mm-hmm. to, you know, like I didn't have action to go crazy, mm-hmm. um, that moment, uh, I think I would have a lot of those types of fantasies. So I used to teach, mm-hmm. I was starting to tell you this yes. before, and then I was like, you know what, we should hold for the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, but yeah, so I used to teach law school. I used to be a lawyer, and then I was a law professor for nine years. Which you're very eloquent, so I'm not surprised. Okay, yeah. thanks. Um, <laughs> hold on, let me say a lot of curse words in a row <laughs> and speak in fragments. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did that, and I think it was you know, it was like, it was like a rough approximation, I think, of what I wanted to be doing with my life. And I don't even know what I'm doing with my life, mm-hmm. like really, but, um, but I would have these fantasies, terror fantasies, anxiety fantasies, whatever, of like being in class and just like not talking about property. Cause that was a class I used to teach, for example. And, um, and, and just like, you know, coming out in this way that's like, could anyone handle what's inside of me? And it sounds to me. Wait, wait, yeah, wait. What do sure. you mean? What do you mean? Uh huh. Well, like having a moment of losing control at the front of the room when I'm supposed to be relatively on script, mm-hmm. that type of mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. And then thinking like, what would happen if I didn't? It's yeah. yeah. And it's scary to be the one. Like, I, I'm not a, a director because yeah. I, I don't think that I could handle that. I, like it's enough for me to direct my own self. But Interesting. Like, I was, feel like you'd be a great director. I mean, maybe someday, maybe someday after I've, you know, gotten all my, my rocks off as an actor, but, um, yeah, I didn't mean it mutually exclusively. Oh yeah. To yeah. Your well I did like, I directed a one act once, which was like very yeah. low maintenance. It was like 10 pages long. And I remember the first rehearsal when I went in there, this was like in my early twenties and I was like, oh, God, I'm the one in charge here. I yeah. felt like a babysitter for grownups, you know, and and people were kind of bouncing off the walls and, you know, po- just post-college and everything. Um, but uh, I didn't like that feeling. And mm-hmm. that's why I don't know if I would be a great teacher okay. at all because that's a lot of pressure. Like everybody's yeah. looking at me waiting yeah. for me to be correct about everything. Right. right. Um, Even though like in actuality, and this was something that I learned along the way. Um, it's not that I, I had that thought. Like I remember in my first and second years teaching, I was like, I have to be right about everything. And I don't think that's like, that wasn't an unproductive thought. It made me, mm. you know, study hard for the stuff that I knew I was mm. teaching the next day, that type of thing. Um, And like really delve deep, like, you know, it has its anxiety is there for a reason. Like, yes, if a tiger is chasing you, but also like, you know, there are moments that it can offer, like, I think it can do bad things, but then there can be good byproducts from it. For sure. I mean, for sure. And as somebody who has had anxiety my entire life, I mean, that was what powered me through the first 18 years of my life. And that was what made me as successful as I was in school. I was driven as fuck, but it was all driven by the fear of failure. I mean, I feel you. Totally. so yeah, I was in all of the clubs and I was the valedictorian mm-hmm. of my high school and oh, all wow, of this congrats. garbage, but like, but I was never, I was, I was a basket case, yeah, you know, I know, because I wasn't doing anything for my own personal health. Totally. So I totally I get think, that. Yeah. I, of course, fear is important. It's important that we don't walk out into the middle of the street and get hit by a fucking bus. Yeah. But we, especially now, and especially in this city, fear has way too much of a seat at the table. I I 100% agree. I guess like my thought is I totally agree with you 
um, when I think about fear and I think about like using it in the present or the future. But when I look at my past and I think Mm -hmm. about all of the fears and anxieties that I had, it helps me to think, okay, well, yeah, I don't want to repeat that kind of thought process. Mm -hmm. But when I remember that thought process, I can remember things about it that were useful. And so like, yeah, I was a basket case my first couple of years of teaching in addition to many other moments in my past. Mm -hmm. But when I look back on them, it's not terribly useful for me to be like, and that was a mistake. And here are the reasons that it sucked. I don't, I mean, I, I, I I think I've evolved past the point of feeling like I made mistakes. Whatever I had to do was what I had to do at the time. And I do see how it was useful, but still in my present life, I struggle with fear and anxiety every day. And like, I feel it there. I'm aware of it. I know it's not useful, but I haven't figured out the means to turn it off yet. I gotcha. Or turn it down. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, Liz Gilbert actually has Mm -hmm. like great writings about fear. Yeah. I Uh, like her. If you read big magic, it's yeah. I'm in the middle of that now. Oh, that's a fun connected Uh moment. See, I knew it. I knew it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so when you, so, all right. So you did law first and yeah. then you rerouted. And I know this isn't yeah. really childhood, but I do. Sure. I want to know. I want to know what the switch was that went off where you were like, I'm done with this. And now I'm on to yeah. finding that valve to express that anxiety. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was very, uh, very like not expected. And so basically I was teaching and teaching brought me to Chicago twice Once, Mm -hmm. um, at a time when I was here, uh, it was like in my fourth year of teaching and I was in a relationship that I didn't want to be in at, you know, and and it wasn't like ending. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I needed a geographical change. Mm -hmm. And Mm so at the time Loyola Chicago called me and and they were like, yeah, they were like, do you want to visit for a semester? And I was like, yeah, like I I would do anything to get out of New York at that moment, Mm -hmm. did it and then develop and, and, uh, I took an improv class during that semester. Ah, uh-huh, where? Um, at IO. Nice, nice. Yeah. Um, and met people in connection with that community. Um, okay, so that was in the fall of 2009. Then um, in the, uh, sometime later, I think it was like the f- 2012 or 13 or whatever, like later in teaching, um, I was invited to visit at Northwestern for the semester. I went to Northwestern. You did? Yes. Oh my God, I love Northwestern. We're they, soul sisters. Yeah, mm-hmm. we totally are. I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so so yes, yeah, so I was visiting there for the semester and was having coffee with my improv instructor from the Loyola semester. Mm-hmm. And I was just talking and she's like, you know, I have this show that I'm... I ha- I'm in charge of the time of like an hour and I have 10 minutes. Would you like to go on stage for 10 minutes? And I was like, no, <laughs> um, because I, I mean, I was meeting with her because I thought she was and is a brilliant actor and teacher and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted to reconnect with her because I had seen her last like two or three years mm-hmm. before. Um, totally not expecting, like, I didn't even know what she wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I was like, would you like me to teach property? Like, I, you know, cause yeah. that's the thing that I did on a stage. Um, so anyway, so then I said no. And she was like, so baffled. Cause she's like, do you get that? Like so many people and now I do yeah. would be killing to get that stage. Yeah, time. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so ultimately she's like, do you trust me? And I was like, absolutely. And she's like, okay, <laughs> just <laughs> famous last words. Yeah. And so, so I did it and I had what, and this is like the thing I say on stage about this moment on stage, which is that it was 
a professional orgasm, which mm-hmm. differed from a real orgasm mm-hmm. because I was a hundred percent sure that it happened. Mm-hmm. And it was like, <laughs> it oh, was, that's, it that's was, amazing. Thank you. Um, yeah, it, it felt that way. Like I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe that. Like this feels like this, you know? Um, and so, yeah. so I remember I came home and, uh, the next day I was on the phone with my mother and I said, I was like, if this is a job that people can have, I want it to be a job that I have. And my mother was like, not, I mean, she's very supportive, but also like very Jewish. And so she was like, okay. Terrified. Like, how are you going to pay your rent? Exactly. Yeah, I know. I have one of those. Yeah. So, oh, they should get together. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, so anyway, and now she's like, I mean, my parents are very supportive and they, you know, they're like, they still are scared because whatever, but like they come and see shows and things and they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, you're, you're getting better. Like this, you know, whatever. And so, um, so they believe in me, but also they're like scared. Um, Mm -hmm. but anyway, I knew at that moment I was like, I want this to be my job, but I, I had, I was at the time I had just gotten tenure. And so I had a job forever. Yeah. You were just, you were just given like that. That's Mm -hmm. crazy. You were like, you can, you can stay on this throne or you can jump off this cliff. Totally. Right. Right. And that's exactly oh what God. it, that's such a beautiful visual of like going on, on a cliff and like having a throne. If the, if we do that scene, I want you to direct it. Yeah, it's on. It's <laughs> totally on. I'm yeah. having Game of Thrones visions in my head. Oh, actually, right interesting. Now. I've never seen Game of Thrones. Actually. I'm not going to spoil I, anything. No, no, yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah. no I'm more nope. reminded of uh, the man that would be king starring uh, <laughs> okay. Sean Connery and uh, Michael Caine, where oh. he becomes via a series of circumstances of a king via like religion they think he's a reincarnation of jesus but mm-hmm. michael kane still an opportunist because they're both like a team of of, of grifters mm-hmm. he's like let's get out of here we have all this gold we could just make off to london oh, we can I go see. right now yeah we can just continue to live our lives and he's like nah i, I want to be king but it was a mistake <laughs> ah, he shouldn't have done it interesting okay it, it that was a mistake phil well right. no he shouldn't have done it because eventually spoilers you know yeah. whatever stuff happens that's stuff bad. happens that's bad and mm-hmm. you know what it's because he stayed on the throne interesting okay cool thank you for that yeah. so i didn't Um, and, but I, I didn't until it's basically like, I was like, if this can be someone's job, I would like it to be my job. But I was like, you know, I recognize that it's completely crazy to quit my job because also like being a tenured law professor is a pretty good gig. Like, uh, you can people uh, like, that's like the dream. It's for all Jewish parents for their children. Totally. Totally. And, and rightly so. Like, it's really not a bad gig. Like you get to basically write what you want. You know, you have decent hours and like, yes, it it is a lot of work, but like you can, you can get into it in the same way that like emotional. You can't, that's exactly right. uh, You're a computer. You can't be vulnerable. Vulnerabilities look down upon. Exactly. And so that ended up being like the thing. And so, so anyway, so practically speaking, that was not the thing. What happened was I was on this, you know, mental game at the time of like, I got to figure out a way to leave this. And, um, and then my school, along with many other law schools, was having this like budget moment that caused the dean to call up all of the tenured faculty members and say, if you want a buyout option, you like these are they. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah. And so the, the movie script couldn't have been written better. <laughs> uh everything so, fell into place for yeah. it. It was yeah. like the universe wanted you to mm-hmm. get re- release your anxiety. Yeah. And so so I took one. Um 
and I get paid for two years. So I just finished year one. <laughs> I know. I fucking hate you. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> that's the thing is like, it's an interesting, I did a show um, at the experiment. Uh-huh. I did a, a six, six month run of a show called very early retirement, which, you know, was about this moment. Um, and that was real. I mean, I'm very grateful to them. Not like they're, <laughs> they're a wonderful venue and Mo Fath Lab is amazing. I don't know. Do you go I've done, there? I've done a show or two there. Yeah. So I've heard a lot of lore, but we're not going to talk about no, it. No, but it's, it's a good yes. vibe. I like it that is. place. It I really like it. Yeah. Um, and so I just meant it like about like, isn't it great? That was, that yeah. was really the, oh, yeah, the yeah, end yeah, of yeah. my <laughs> like oh, yeah. thing about the no, experiment. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, but anyway, so, so I was lucky enough to do the show there and like work it out, Mm -hmm. um, which I was really grateful for. And it was a scripted show? Uh, no, it was me. I taped every one, um, and everyone was different. So a thing with me and stand up is Mm -hmm. I, I can't go up with a set. I've never done the same set twice. You're fucking amazing. Okay. No, I, well, thank you. But also like it's it's simultaneously something that I'm proud of and very insecure about because I'm like, is it a cop-out from doing from the committing thing? To I wrestle with yeah. the same thing because I've done improv yeah. for about eight years now, but I okay. haven't. I've done stand-up on and off, mm-hmm. not to equate a year, but right. I've, cool. I know who I am. Yeah. So at a, at a mic, I'm comfortable. I don't have any bits. I mean, I have, yeah. it's all coming from here and I never, do you record yourself? I do. Yeah. Okay, so you're much smarter than I am in that regard. But yeah, it's the same thing where like you think you trust in your instincts, but you're like, is it people sweat this out? Yeah. But in the but also consider that you've you had a whole career before this and you've yeah you've earned something some sort of sure well, right. But muscle. I also think it's a completely different medium what you're describing yeah. because stand up like there are people who are masterful yes. at, at stand up yes. and those people have scripted everything, but they, they make it seem completely, completely on the fly and they will change and tweak like tiny things within it. It's basically like writing a poem, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and editing it. But, but it sounds like what you do is something else, which is like a crossbreed of stand up and improv. Yeah. And that's always what it's been. And, and the moment, the day after my first time on stage, I remember also on the same phone call with my mother saying, and it's like, she was just like probably, you know, making gefilte fish or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just like listening to me go on and on. Mm-hmm. And I was like, but I have to remember, I already foresee that I have to stay improvised. That was like the thing I told myself. And I, I flip flop between tr- like being like, I should change. Cause the things that I do, I write every day mm-hmm. and I write jokes and I, I will email myself jokes and I will repeat things. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that like, if I'm on the phone with you and then I'm on the phone with you later in the day, probably there are stories that I would have told you that will get told to you mm-hmm. later in the day. And this, you know, like just like talking, right? Right. right. And so I try to look at my stand up in that way mm. where it's like I'll tell an audience a thing and then I'll tell another audience sometimes a version of a thing that I said before, but sometimes new things mm-hmm. and they just kind of cycle through as oh my, my life cycles I'm through. I'm so excited to collaborate with you. I'm I dying. I really loved your work. I remember the night that we met at yeah. Bunga's Den and it was this moment of like 
wow. Well, because that's pretty is, much what I do. What I yeah. do, I'll be in conversation with somebody and I'll mm-hmm. say something and I'll be like, oh, that had a thing. And I can't really say what it is because it's not like a funny joke. Like I don't yeah. consider myself a joke writer. Right. But, it's, but you're very funny. But but that's only me talking like right. me. Right. You know? So yeah. it's like, can I capture that voice? Anyway, I feel bad because we have Why? veered so far away oh, from childhood right no. now. Okay. Okay. But it's still a conversation. We can bring it back. We can bring it back. No, huh? no. Well, because I, I have quite, because I want to go back, I want to go back into into where that came from because it sounds mm-hmm. like you are so intuitive and so um, like on top of of what your what your soul is saying is right to do and I mm-hmm. want to know if you had inklings of that when you were younger or if it really took you being on stage that time after law yeah. school after all that yeah. for you to say oh my god it's this like were there any signs when you were younger yeah yeah I mean I remember so I sing also mm-hmm. um that's like a big part of what I do mm-hmm. as well um and so when I was younger I mean what I would I, I don't I don't pretend that like I'm the only person who did this but like um <laughs> Uh, I remember, you know, I was a really big Tina Turner fan Mm -hmm. and a really big Michael Jackson fan. Mm -hmm. And I would spend hours like perfecting my concert moves in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then I'll just go briefly back to law school because I think it's related in the way that your question was framed. Um, so in law school, it is a normal thing, I imagine. You know, the first year of law school is really hard. Like, there's a movie called 1L about the first year of law school, um, which is like, and, and a book. Um, but, like, that's a year when people are really, really stressed and they're doing a lot of homework. Mm-hmm. And I was really stressed. But what I would do was I would go back to my room and open a book in order to do homework, but then turn on Rick Astley and practice. <laughs> you Rick rolled yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, like that, that was the thing that moved me always was just like performing. And I think it took me really like committing to doing something boring for the rest of my life. And I don't mean to, to throw shade at lawyers. Like, Oh, you can throw shade at them. Well, they would laugh at it. They know you're right. I know, but it's also like, I understand. I mean, I knew people in law school who I gravitated toward because like I had this one friend, Kevin and Kevin is a, an appellate lawyer. He's really successful now. He's a really wonderful person. And I don't know everything about what his, you know, dreams and desires are at the, moment Mm -hmm. right now. But what I loved about him was I was like, you really want to be here in Mm -hmm. law school. Mm -hmm. Like this is something that you thought about before Mm -hmm. and you, you know why you're doing it. And I loved that because like the thing that I love is love is passion, Mm -hmm. you know? And it, it was just like, I think it took for me being in law school for me to recognize like, Oh, there are some people who feel about this stuff the way that I feel about dancing and singing to Rick Astley in my room. Right. And I, I, I finished law school and I did the job and whatever. And I knew that I wanted to be successful because I'm Jewish also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but I also knew that it wasn't a hundred percent me. And I think it took until it took the moment of being on stage for me to be like, Oh, this is what it can feel like. And it's similar for me. The moment that professional orgasm moment, it's not for nothing that the analogy and the joke is a sexual one because Mm -hmm. the moment that it feels most like 
for me is the moment that I first kissed a woman mm-hmm. because it wasn't like I, I had a boyfriend in college. It wasn't fake. Mm-hmm. You know, I loved him. Like our sex was real, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but when I kissed a woman, I was like, Oh, hold up. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this is what it can be like. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not everybody's story, but I think for me, it was like, I I think inside of me, I have the capacity for really, really big joy. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true for everybody. I I think I'm just like connected to it in a conscious way. Mm -hmm. And so I also have like a, a, you know, a depressive side, like, but I fight it really actively. Um, And so, um, so like, the moments like kissing a woman for the first time, like being on stage for the first time, those were moments where it wasn't that I was so miserable before, but it was moments when I was like, oh, I didn't know it could be this good. Like it was. Yeah. yeah. And then a part of you, cause like I had that moment too, yeah. which was when I was a, a freshman in high school auditioning for the school one acts. And mm-hmm. when I was on stage for the first time and like doing a monologue and yeah. I had that feeling and I, and I remember afterward I had to go home and like, sit down and do my English homework, but my whole body was like alive, you know, and the endorphins are racing through it. And I was like, fuck. And then for the next, you know, eight or nine or 10 years, I like tried to push that feeling away. I was like, that's not practical. It's not realistic. I can't Mm -hmm. get that job. Like we're going to ignore that feeling now. We're going to try to do publishing instead. We're going to, you know, but it just kept finding ways to burst out until I finally was like, all right, fine. Yeah. Doing it. Yeah. And there's that theme again of like the bursting out. And I've Um, always felt like that. And I I think probably all artists would, would agree with that kind of feeling. That's why we have to be artists because mm -hmm. we have this, like, I'm not going to call it a monster because it's actually like a beautiful thing, but this like energy. And when, you know, when I go through bursts of time, when I don't have some kind of a platform, some kind of a channel it gets very ugly inside, you know, but I don't think that everybody experiences that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds right. It's like the, it's like the alien. It's like the alien bursting out of my stomach. Right. Like it has to come out somewhere. Totally. Really beautiful alien sometimes. Yeah. Really also good personality. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I think that's a lovely, I think that's a lovely note too to wind it up on, even though I would, I, we are going to talk for hours after this. Okay, uh, for cool. Sure. Amazing. But, um, I have, a, I have a gift for you and oh my I God. always have a gift for, for my guests and it's always an artifact from, um, my youth. Yes. Um, and, um, it's, I'm actually going to give you a poem mm-hmm. that I wrote, uh, that was a school assignment. I'm going to read it to you. Okay, cool. Um, it was a school assignment in sixth grade. And um, it's in the original pencil on Mm -hmm. loose leaf paper. You have nice handwriting. Really nice handwriting. Thank you. Yes. It's gotten much, much worse as time has gone on. And the assignment was like every line began with a phrase like I am, I, you know, I want, I pretend, I Mm -hmm. worry. And we were supposed to fill in the blanks. Oh, cool. So this was the poem that I wrote. Mm -hmm. I am a soul whose depth is an ocean. I wonder why. I hear voices of people who do not hear me. I see a reality beyond the obvious. I want to be noticed before I die. I am a soul whose depth is an ocean. I pretend to be someone I am not. I feel alone and distant from the crowds. I touch a world no one else can experience. I worry that I will never find my destiny. I cry when reality becomes too overwhelming. I am a soul whose depth is an ocean. I understand that life will never be flawless. 
I say that neither actions nor words speak loud enough. I dream outside the boundaries of imagination. I try to find truth within everything. I hope that ideal is not beyond my grasp. I am a soul whose depth is an ocean. Wow. Beautiful. That's amazing. Huh. Here you go. I Sixth grade, up in your business. I want, I have an idea for what I want to do with this. Oh, this awesome. is great, and I'm going to send it to you. And I can't wait to tell Mrs. Dillon that something will happen to it. Yeah. Okay. She, this is exciting. Awesome. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank for, you so much for, for talking with us, Liz. Yeah. This is, I, I, seriously, yeah. I could talk to you for hours. You're. I feel the same way. You're just like in the, the zone. Thanks. Yeah. So maybe you're going to be a regular bitch seat contributor. I would love yeah. to be. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. I had questions, but we're wrapping it up. So. Oh, how, no, you can. No, wait. no, no. We're good. Save it for the sequel. Okay. Save it for the sequel. Amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, um, uh, for those of you listeners out there, um, we this is coming out on the twenty fourth. Yeah, this is the twenty fourth. So, uh, the next show is going to be August seventh at eight p.m. at <gasps> My QED. Birthday. Liz's birthday. Yeah. It's going to be uh, Phoebe Robinson, Will Miles, and Emma Willman with nice. Rebecca Vigil doing as a musical guest. It's going to be a killer show. <gasps> that sounds amazing. And um, besides that, uh, you can uh, please leave us some review love on uh, iTunes or Google Play. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the underscore bitch underscore seat. And last thing is we're going to do a shout out to uh, a Twitter account, Crafty Whoop. That's W-H-O-O-P. They are a very cool um, cultural hub of uh, video and audio gems that we are going to be a yes. part of. Nice. Um, I have any plugs? Do you have any plugs? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Um, I mean, you can just find me at uh, Twitter. I'm at Elizabeth Glazer on Instagram, I'm at Liz Glazer, but also at Penny Project because I take photos of money on the ground, which is a project that I've done. Uh-huh. Oh, that's where my dollars go. <laughs> um, and uh, if you look up hashtag Dear Liz Glazer, you're going to uh, find a lot of delightful yes. Thank you. tidbits. Yeah. Thank you. Wonderful. That's what I say to myself. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Awesome. Cool. All right, guys. Well, you know how you know what we say. Treasure what got you here. Yes. Because... Uh, you never know when Pachi is going to be the start of a great conversation. I, I love that guy. I love that guy too. Me, me too. Yeah. <laughs> Hands off, guys. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate him. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. They scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one I, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first burlesque. Burlesque club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The la- Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!